We've been working our way through the book of 2 Samuel, and this morning we find ourselves in a very, very difficult uh, passage of Scripture. Um, uh, for some of you, uh, this uh, passage is going to be very hard to hear as it recounts the experience of Tamar. It may remind you of experience that you had in the past, maybe once or multiple times, bring up grief and pain, questions. Maybe you're wondering, does God care about those who have experienced and been victimized through sexual assault and rape? What is the the perspective of our God towards sins like this? Does He care? Is He concerned? Others of you may have questions of why would a story like this even be in the Bible at all? Is the Bible even good for women if it would recount something like this? My, My prayer and my hope is as we dig into this scripture and we enter into Tamar's pain and hurt and cries, that we would also hear the voice of our God. And as we enter into her pain, we would be comforted by our God and his character and what he reveals about himself in this passage. So if you would, look with me. We're in Second Samuel chapter 13. We're going to look at the whole passage together, uh, beginning in uh, verse 1, going all the way down through 39. So if you would please follow along with me in your copy there of God's Word. If you're following along one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page uh, 264. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, and the son of Shimea, David's brother, And Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him. But he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. 
And Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this is wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out from my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid uh, her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Ammon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard all of these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go up with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they were on their way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king rose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now, therefore, let not my lord, the king, so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young man who kept the watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. 
And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. Let's pray. Father, You've given us Your Word. You've revealed and continue to reveal Yourself to us in Scripture. Some passages are very hard to understand and even deal with, to even read. We pray this morning, though, that we would see the character of our, of our God and of His anointed one, Jesus, in this passage. Holy Spirit, accomplish Your purposes. Use Your Word to convict us, to comfort us, to bind our hearts up in Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Kids, if you're following along this morning, Tamar, her name means something kind of like a, a date palm or a palm tree. So what I'd like for you to do is draw me three pictures. One of a, a beautiful palm tree. And then I want you to draw one that has been um, damaged and hurt. And then the third one, I want you to draw the most beautiful palm tree that you can imagine. Even beautiful than the very first one that you drew at the beginning. It's very common in instances of uh, sexual violence for the victim's voice to not be heard. To be ignored. To be pushed to the side. To be silenced. But in our passage this morning, it's interesting that in the recorded Scripture of God's Word, our God gives voice to Tamar. She is the one who speaks. And of all of the people in the passage, she alone understands the character of God. The righteousness of God. She is the righteous one. Every other character in this episode, all of the men around her fail. But Tamar is the one who gives us the key to understanding what's going on in this passage how to interpret it, how to understand God's perception, perspective on it. And in some ways, it's very much parallel to what we saw with uh, uh, Uriah's comments in the episode with David and Bathsheba and Uriah a couple of chapters earlier. That Uriah, the victim, his, his voice, his speech helps us to evaluate and understand how far askew and off David was in his actions. So what we want to do this morning is, is give ear to Tamar's voice. To listen to what she says that we might hear and be revealed to us God's heart, His response to what's going on here in this passage. Maybe what you've experienced in your own life. So first look, look in verse 12, what she says. Do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. 
That language that's used here, that she uses to violate me, the specific language, it's used in places of Scripture of, of heinous sexual sin. In fact, this is one reason why uh, when we looked at, at, at David's interaction with, uh, with Bathsheba, we uh, did not call that rape in that situation. It was adultery, uh, deception, hiding, and murder. But here, the scriptures describes what happens to Tamar. It uses specific language that talks about violation, about outrageous things, great and heinous sins against God. How do we know that? Well, notice what he, he says. This thing is not done in Israel. Why would this thing, this great, heinous act that would violate someone not be done in Israel? Because Israel is the people of God. Israel, of all the people in the world, are to reflect the value of, that God has. To demonstrate in the way that we use our own bodies and that we relate to the bodies of others, that we show them love, dignity, respect. Here, Tamar is saying, look, Amnon, the thing that you are doing violates me. It violates the word of God, and it is outrageous. The, the language that she uses there, an outrageous thing, it's, uh, she, she picks it up again in verse 13. As for me, where can I, uh, I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Uh, fool, when that language comes up in the Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture, it's not talking about somebody who doesn't have uh, strong mental capacity or smarts. It's a moral category. Wisdom is, descri is describing one who, who trusts God, who walks in his ways, who fears God. A fool is one who rejects God's revelation, his character, and is determined to live in the world in a way that is ungodly and wicked. Tamar is warning Amnon here that what he is about to do and what he's intending to do completely violates God's purposes. And in fact, the same language comes up in two other places in Scripture where similar assaults happen. In Genesis chapter 34, something happens to Dinah, the, the daughter of Jacob. The same language is used there. This should not be done in Israel. It's an outrageous thing. In Judges 19, something happens to the concubine of a Levite. A similar assault happens. It says, this is not something that happens and should happen in Israel. It's detestable. It's wicked. Here we see Tamar communicating and bringing up other places in Scripture where God strongly condemns this type of sin, this type of violence. And even as, as, as it goes forward, Amnon later, when he, after he's, he's violated her, overpowering her, not listening to her pleas for him to stop, then he tries to blame her for it. Get up, go. Sends her out. Has his servant lock the door as if she's the one who is the cause of the problem. 
And she communicates again the heart and the perspective of God that this is wrong. Amnon, she says, this wrong is greater than the one that you did even before this, that you would turn this around and try to pin it and blame it on me. We need to hear the voice of Tamar. And in it, we need to recognize and see that she is the righteous one who is communicating to us as she appeals to Scripture that from her we hear the heart of God. We hear His declaration about what has happened here. And what God says is that it's wicked. It's a violation of what I intend for my people And it's condemned with some of the strongest language in in Scripture. If this is something that's a part of your story, or that you've experienced, and you wonder, what does God think about this? What is His perception of it? It is wrong. It's wickedness. It should not happen. Not among the people of God, not perpetrated by any human. It is completely contrary to God's intentions and His purposes for men and women. This isn't something that just happens to women. Men and children as well can be victims of this type of sin and violence. And we need to hear and know that God condemns it and He rejects it. Let's, let's actually continue to listen to Tamar and, and use her evaluation to go and look at each of these guys that show up in this passage and evaluate their actions. First, let's look at Amnon. It's interesting, you notice what he, what he says to Jonadab. In verse 4, he says, I love Tamar. He would call it love. But from the perspective of Tamar, who is speaking to us the heart of God in this passage, it's not love. It's lust. It's not love. It's lust. Notice how this comes out. It reports for us in verse 13, Amnon's perspective on it, that he loved her. But it's very clear at the beginning that that is not the case. Look in verse 2. Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister. He's obsessed with her. He doesn't love her. Even notice how he, he, it, it speaks and says his intentions in his heart. He became ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. Love doesn't do things to people. Love doesn't objectify and use another at your expense. Love does for another. Love gives oneself for another. And here we see uh, Tamar Demonstrating and showing that what Amnon is experiencing is nothing but lust. Even as it, it, it goes on, uh, we see him 
not doing something that would demonstrate and, and show uh, love and respect and honor to her, but he seeks to deceive her. He tricks her. He overpowers her. He doesn't listen to her words. Do not violate me. Do not do this. This is not right. He continues to do only what he wants, to get what he wants, to use her. He doesn't love her. He doesn't view her as a woman made in the image of God with value and dignity and worth that is not just there for you to take But that's what he does. And even the language that he uses later when he calls his servant in verse 17. He called the young man and he said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. In the original language, woman isn't there. He just says, put this out. She's a thing. She's not a woman. This is not love. God condemns this. What's flowing out of Amnon's mouth, what's flowing out of Amnon's life comes from his heart. And what is in the center of his heart is not love. It is lust and it is hatred. You see, that's what the author tells us in verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. This is the farthest that you can get from love. What is flowing out of his heart, what is flowing out of his life, is lust and contrary to God's purposes. It's interesting, though, that as we reflect back on Amnon's upbringing, what's the model that he has for how one relates to women? What sex and sexuality are for when his father had a multitude of wives? When his father would commit adultery and then murder a man to cover it up. Amnon is just modeling what he sees. It's flowing out of his heart, yes, but he's had a model. A model in the anointed one of God. But we've seen that David goes back and forth. At times he reflects the heart and the character of God, and other times he just completely uh, obliterates it. But when we look to the true anointed one, to Jesus, what do we see? We see one who is full of love. We see one who relates to men and women with value and care. We see one who does not seek to do something to someone, but to do something for them. As he gives his life, I will suffer. I will be violated. I will experience the shame and the pain and the suffering to secure and save and deliver you. That is what love is. We have a king who shows us love. We have a king through his actions that show us how much God condemns this type of living. We see through Tamar's voice, in the life of Christ, that Amnon is full of lust, not love. 
But with Jonadab, we see one who is not exercising wisdom, but wickedness. Not wisdom, but wickedness. Notice how he is described there in verse 3. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. This was Amnon's cousin. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. The word used there can be translated uh, wise as well, depending on the, the context. Wisdom. Wisdom walks in the path of the Lord. Wisdom does not walk in the way of sinners and scoffers. Wisdom does not lead one down a path of sin. Here, Jonadab hears of Ammon's lust. And what does he do? He conspires. He thinks, how can I orient and us twist and think about this as a way to deceive and corner and trap Tamar so that Amnon can get just exactly what he wants? Jonadab here is not exercising wisdom at all. Wisdom would call out a brother who is communicating lust and a desire to sin and violate another. Wisdom would say, this must not be done, Amnon, and I'm not going to allow you to do it. But no, instead, he encourages, he plans it, and he helps him perpetrate and bring it about. May we never be those who fantasize about and plan to carry out acts of wickedness like this or any other form. Our God calls us to walk with Him. What does King Jesus have to say about something like this? Jesus, the one who said, would you cause a little one to stumble? A vulnerable one? You deceive them? You take advantage of them? You hurt them? Jesus says, you deserve to have an upper millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea. How does God look upon this action? What is his evaluation of it? Just as Tamar says, this is wickedness and this is wrong, our king also says, this is wrong and must not be tolerated among the people of God. We're seeing Ammon Expressing lust, not love. We're seeing Jonadab demonstrate and show wickedness, not wisdom. We look at Absalom. Absalom, who on the surface, it might seem like he is pursuing justice. But actually what we see is that it's not justice, it's just hate. Notice that at first he he recognizes what has happened and he, he comes to to Tamar and he asks her what Amnon has done to her and she acknowledges it but he tells her don't worry about it. It's as if he's saying I'll take care of it. I don't want you to worry about it. He begins to take care of her and provide for her in his home which that is very noble. But notice what it says. Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Absalom's not interested in justice for Tamar. Absalom's interested in satisfying his own hatred against Amnon, his older brother. Notice, 
One who is interested in justice would have immediately gone to the one who is in the place to exercise justice. He would have gone to the king. He would have said, David, my father, king of Israel, this violation has occurred. This should not happen to Israel. And Amnon deserves to be punished. Will you do something about it? He could have gone to Nathan, the prophet, and communicated to him what had happened. And Nathan could have come and made things right if David refused. But Absalom does neither one. Absalom is content on vengeance. He waits two full years, not pursuing justice for his sister. Two full years, she is struggling and hurting and suffering in his house. And he plans out this murder of Amnon and has him slaughtered. And Jonadab knew about this too, but notice it's from the beginning. This is what he had planned. It tells us in verse 32, for the the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister. Absalom was not the one who was in the place to bring this punishment about. He's not concerned with justice. He's not ultimately concerned for Tamar. He is exercising and seeking to satisfy his hate. The lives of others don't matter, and they are expendable. Where have we seen this before? Again, Absalom as well has learned this from his father. The king, the anointed one of Israel, who easily could command others to do something that would bring a man to his death. In Uriah's case, Uriah was innocent. Amnon was guilty. But Absalom was not in the place to bring this punishment about. It's the role of the king. The role of the king. What about David here? You've seen Amnon is lusting, not loving. Jonadab is wicked, not wise. We've seen that Absalom is full of just hatred, not justice. David. One might could look at David and think, this is a gracious man who pardons. David, who experienced the grace and mercy of God, who deserved death himself, but God said, I've taken your sin away from you, and you will not die, David. But actually, what we're seeing here with David is not pardon, it's passivity. How does he respond? Look what he says, and what it says about him in verse 21. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And nothing. He knew the violation that had occurred to his daughter. He was angry about it, which is right, but he did nothing. You are the one, David, who is to reflect the just character of our God, who is to rule over the people of God with justice and righteousness and equity. David, do you not know that the law calls for Amnon to suffer death for this rape? For incest? Maybe you had questions, David. 
Let's give you the benefit of the doubt. You wondered, how could I be one in this situation, in this circumstance, who experienced this grace and mercy of God and who have committed similar acts of sexual immorality that also deserve death? How in the world could I then step in in this instance and bring justice? Well, guess what? David had the tools at hand to determine what to do. You remember how David responded earlier in his life when he had a question about what to do? He would go to the priest. He would seek the wisdom that comes from God to ask him, what do I do in this situation? Does David do that here? No. He could have called Nathan, who was the one who pardoned his penalty, and said, Nathan, I need you to seek the Lord on my behalf. Help me to know what to do in this instance because I know what the law demands and I do not know what to do. But David doesn't do that. He's content to just be angry about it, to slide it under the rug, to deal with it internally and to not speak up, to not bring justice, to not punish the one who has done this wicked evil within and among the people of God. Some things haven't changed, have they? How often do we hear, in the context of the church, sins like this that happen, and those in the place of authority, and who know about it, do not report it to the the law. Sometimes they don't even report and deal with it internally. They overlook it more concerned about a person's future job prospects or what kind of shame it might bring on the church. God says no. No. Justice must be done. This is wrong. You cannot just let it slide, David. Here we see that David is not reflecting the heart of the anointed one and caring for the victim nor directly dealing with this sin. How does, how, how does Jesus, the true king, address and deal with this? Look over in Revelation 22. Verse 14. Well, beginning in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. We may wonder, you may be sitting there wondering, why has God not acted and done anything in my situation? Everybody around me remains silent. I've been blamed. They are getting off scot-free and continuing to do this to multiple, multiple other people. But notice here, Jesus does care. 
He sees it. He recognizes it. He takes sin seriously. How serious has Jesus taken sin? How much does God hate what goes on? So much so that it would necessitate the death of his own son to deal with it. So much so that Jesus says, I know that you're waiting, but I see it. Your pain and your, your violation is not gone on notice, and I am coming. And when I return, I will deal with it. And I will pay everyone for what they have done, and I will make it right. I will deal with your shame. I will deal with your pain. I will heal you. Wiping away your tears. So that you are even more whole than you were before. But, but what, what about those who have committed sins like this? Is there any hope? Notice what Jesus said there. Blessed are those who wash their robes, for they have the right to the tree of life. None of us have the right to come into the presence of God. Only those who have washed their robes, who've been cleaned and washed and made new in the blood of Christ. How in the world does that happen? And to whom is that promise offered? Look. Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul uses similar language. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, and that is the category in Scripture that this sin falls in, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God shows you what his evaluation is of those sins. But listen to this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Forgiveness is on offer for those who have committed sins like this. How can it occur? By God overlooking His justice? No. By Jesus dying in the place of sinners and taking our punishment. You see, we, we look back in chapter 13 and we see the sons of David committing gross and heinous sin. Lust, wickedness, hate, passivity. We see the anointed one failing to bring about justice when it needed. But another son of David is coming. The righteous one. The one who in everything he does loves. The one who in everything he does exercises wisdom. The one who in everything he does will bring justice, even if it costs him his life to redeem and save you. 
and the one who can offer pardon because his death was given so that you could be made alive in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. For victims and perpetrators, our only hope is Jesus. And hear and know that He loves you, that He cares for you. But if you refuse to repent and you persist in your wickedness, Jesus will come to vindicate the ones that you have harmed. While there's time, look to Jesus. And those of you who are suffering now in shame and guilt and pain, look to Jesus. He's coming for you. He cares for you now. And all will be made new. Let's pray. God, we thank You uh, for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You, Jesus, our King, that You are the righteous One. We pray that in the midst of our pain and our shame, we would find hope that comes only in You, the One who suffers, the One who fights, the One who dies the one who brings victory for the sake of his people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.